And welcome back, everybody, to hey, the everybody. weekly podcast. Hello, hello. Everybody feeling okay? Doing all right? I am doing good. Yeah. Okay. Feel feel refreshed. I've, oh, I've really? My, well, I've got my Nestle Splash. Okay. I don't know which camera I should hold that to. Nestle Joel, Splash. Joel, I'm forcing you to go to this camera. Nestle Splash. What do you drink when you buy it on sale? That's right. Wildberry <laughs> Nestle Splash. It's good. I, don't, I, I guess Wildberry is just a collection of berries? I don't know. It's raspberry and, I don't know, what's that, the blackberry? The things you tell your children not to eat while they're walking that's on right. the trail. That's right. Please stop <laughs> Don't eat that. I don't no, know if that's no, a good berry. Put that down. in water. <laughs> put it in water. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So anyway, I feel refreshed. I'm ready to go. All right. I'm and you're working hard to get us a sponsor, I can see. I, well, I'm I, always working hard to get us a sponsor. So I am also drinking, not that they're ever going to sponsor us, Dr. Pepper. And uh, I like Dr. Pepper Cherry. I had not had one before, but Dr. Perry, Pepper Cherry... Better than Nestle Splash. Oh, no, yeah. I don't know about that. But we'll try. Not as good for you, I bet. Well, I don't know. Why would it be bad? I don't know. I don't know why people think, and I'm sure somebody will let me know, why is carbonation bad for me? I, I couldn't tell you. Did someone know, say carbonation was yeah, bad Yeah, I hear you? people all oh. know, oh, it's got a lot of carbonation in it. Oh. Okay. Huh. Yeah, it does. I got a lot. I got a lot of carbon in me too. I do, I do too. I thought and, uh, seltzer water was good for you. I though. Did Wasn't too. it supposed to be like it's not like a healthy thing? Like if I, you're, I don't know. Okay, I, I don't know. know. A lot of people drinking it nowadays. Well, yeah, it is very, that it is very water. European. And when I was growing up, yeah. seltzer water was what you put in uh, whiskey when you weren't uh. able to drink it straight. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so for wimps, that's what it's for. If you couldn't drink it straight up. Huh. Isn't that what that LaCroix stuff is? I yeah, see everybody it drink. It's LaCroix. seltzer water. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've, drank, the, I've had a LaCroix. It doesn't taste like uh, anything good. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It's really. My uh, wife likes hot. those sparkling water. Like, a, you know, like it, she'd be drinking Nestle Splash, but So sparkling. I just want to say to the sponsors of LaCroix, I will drink your water. Sponsors. I don't even know what we would get. Now, if I just get LaCroix water, and that's it. No, I'm probably not drinking it. Mm. Well, you know, that's a good little segue into our thing. You know, we've been talking about the mixture of faith and politics. I think, though, it's okay to mix some corporations in politics. <laughs> I mean, in religion. Let's get all that mixed together. Yeah, Give us not. some sponsors. That's probably not good either. So let's, yeah, that's no, a good no. segue into what we've been talking about. I'm thanks, a segue kind of guy. I like to segue. Thanks, Nathan. Segue. You, you, you put me right back on track. I was I'm just about to go off back track, off track. I know. But I'm going to stay right here. Because he's going to just keep it. talking about sparkling waters. I have another story, but I'm going to no, let go. No, we don't need to hear that. The, <laughs> let, here's what we'll do. We'll just wheel him into a room, right. and the old man can just sit and tell his stories. I remember when this was all over. Orange groves. Yes. <laughs> so, Christians in the Age of Outrage. Yes. Our we, series. We started that on Sunday. We yes. did. We had been sort of prepping for that and knew it was going to be a big deal. Prepping like uh, getting stuff stored up for when getting there was nobody ready. around us That's anymore. Right. <laughs> when we run everybody off. We've been doomsday prepping <laughs> for it. That's right. So, uh, and I just thought it'd be good to go over the, the three things that we're asking everybody to do for this series, and then sure. we're going to talk about it. Gotcha. Um, we, had, we had asked everybody in our church to say, for this six-week period, for this series, do three things. And we said, first, every single day, we are going to uh, participate in some guided prayer time as a congregation, and we've been putting that out on all our social channels and on YouTube. So if you're not subscribed to YouTube, now would be a great time to do that, or follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and every day... Uh, we've produced these short, less than five-minute videos. Mm-hmm. It'll just lead you through some time to do some reflection, some quiet prayer, uh, maybe just get a moment of the day where you're just 
still and thinking about these things. Second thing we ask people to do is everybody get in a small group. Yes. Those are starting this week. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody spends six weeks just talking about this. And, and here's, here's the thing, if you're wondering, we're not directly talking about what we learn on Sundays. We're actually taking it to the next level and saying, what can we do to put, uh, to be better as Christians yes. in, in an age of outrage? Um, we've got some uh, great teaching videos that you're going to be watching in your small groups called Christians at Our Best, and uh, then some great follow-ups. Led by a really smart guy, really way, smart. way smarter than us. Way smarter than us. <laughs> that's a low bar. That take much. <laughs> that is a low bar. He is yeah. a smart guy, and he is smarter than us, yes. but that's not the qualifying. Yeah. Yes. He's he's like, the bar to be as smarter than us is like here. Yeah. He's like, yeah, way, he's way he jumped it over. We can't even see his bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't know where he's at. That's why when, when we came across this stuff, Ed mm-hmm. said, you know, are we going to make our own videos? And I watched them for the first time, and I went, I can't do any better. <laughs> no, we, the answer should be no. <laughs> no yes. I can't do any better. So uh, if you're not in a small group and you want to know what that's about and get involved in that and discuss this stuff with uh, a group of people, really great time to do that right now. So you can go to our website, community-christian.net, click on the Connect card, and uh, sign up there. There's a form you can fill out. Or if you just want to do something even simpler, send an email to help at community-christian.net. You don't happen to know that say, text number that we I don't know it off the top of my head. I can't get it off the top of my head either. I don't know it. So use the email and yeah. send it and just say, hey, I want to be in a group, yep. and somebody will contact you about that. And then the third thing we said, engage with the service, and you can do that in person or online. So Absolutely. Yep. All right. Let's talk about the opening message that we got into on Sunday. Um, the main problem, Ed, that you addressed to us in the message was how we as Christians often wind up viewing our faith through the lens of our politics and not the other way around, which would be viewing our politics and what we think about those issues through the lens of faith. So here's a couple questions to get us started. Has that always been the case? Have Christians always been this way, or is this something that is worse now than in generations past? And I guess that's more of an opinion. What do you think? I would say in my lifetime, I think it's always been this way. Mm. I think, um, I mean, I think historically, you guys know I love history. I think when you look back, I think any place where Christianity doesn't have power, Mm. this isn't true. Yes. People. yeah. But any place that you give Christians the ability to feel like we have a majority which we still feel like in this country, which though it's not true, no. uh, and where political parties play toward us, mm-hmm. which they do, mm-hmm. uh, I think this begins to happen to people. They, mm-hmm. they, but it doesn't happen when you don't have power. You don't think about it this way. But I don't think in my lifetime it hasn't ever been, and we have historical evidence that the whole history of our country, people have taken political views and slid them in front of their faith. Yeah. I mean, there was as much a divide in the church over the politics of the Civil War as there was in the country. Absolutely. I Absolutely. mean, there's a reason there's a Southern Baptist church. That's right. And there's, right. there's a whole conference in Southern Methodist, and there's Southern Methodist University. And mm-hmm. I mean, that didn't just happen. Yeah. Right. We were having the same battles, which shouldn't have been a battle for Christians. No. Correct. I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear we should have come where we should have come down on that. And the thing I wonder is, are we going to look back on today in 50, 60, even 100 years and say the same thing about yes. what we're divided over now? Yes, yeah. we are. <laughs> yes, we are. Because I think now, I think, and I hear people say this, and again, 
I know I've mentioned this all the time. I grew up in Mississippi, so I'm Southern through and through. In Mississippi, you know, belly of the beast still, most people would say it. Yeah. I, I know there are people in Mississippi because of me that listen to this. I'm sorry. But people now like to say, oh, Martin Luther King, he wouldn't have done it like this. I'm just telling you, Martin Luther King was hated, hated in, in, in his day. And now we think he would have been some hero because he would have handled it differently. I don't think he would have, maybe he would have been different in our day mm, yeah. than, than he was then. Uh, we look back at it now and go, how did white churches not stand up with him? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and they all look back and we all go, oh, that was a mistake. We should have done it. Well, yeah, we're going to look back and say, hey, we're screwing up now too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we put politics in front of what the Bible clearly teaches. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, the idea of, of power um, when Christians feel as if they're out of power. And um, I don't know, did, uh, maybe you listen, you and I, I know me and Ed listened to a podcast, maybe you listened to it too, Nathan, recently, where a guy was talking about the difference between power and freedom and mm-hmm. how the church these days, we have confused the two. We think we have lost freedom in our country, and so we, we fight for our freedom, but the truth is we haven't lost freedom. In fact, technically we, are, we have as many or as, as more freedoms than we ever have, what the church has lost is power. Yes, mm-hmm. people continually talk about we have religious freedoms that are going away. Freedom is not going away, but power given by religion. The government mm-hmm. used to give us power. Yes. They, and again, our Constitution doesn't guarantee. In fact, it restricts intentionally religious power. Absolutely. And it, it has played to us for years, and now because we're not a majority. But we always win on the side of freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the way the kingdom of God works, mm-hmm. as we've been talking about around our church uh, lately, is it's not a kingdom that comes in power. It's a kingdom that, that comes in weakness. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's our posture. It's supposed to be. It should be. Mm-hmm. Our, our king intentionally became weak. He intentionally gave up, the, uh, Paul says. He intentionally died. He gave up all power so that we could have the victory, mm-hmm. and we are supposed to be formed by his life and example, but we continually struggle to gain power over people. We want to have mm-hmm. power over yeah. mm-hmm. instead of power underneath. We support, we give up our power to gain For influence. the sake of those without it. Yes, exactly. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. And um, before we hit record, um, Nathan, you were sharing something that you discovered recently with us mm-hmm. about this whole idea of politics and I want you, you to just read something to yes. them and let's not tell them what this is. Ah, yes. And that, that would be great. I want you to read. I want you all to hear a description of something and guess what this is from. Mm. And then we'll tell you. Afterwards. I like that. I like that. You ready for it? Yep. I all right. It. He's going to read this to us. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, Mm. uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, 
ugly parodies of community. Now, I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you. You know, if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. That sounds like somebody wrote that yesterday. Yeah, it yeah. does. And it sounds certainly written about our culture. That, of course, is a translation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually a paraphrase mm. of Galatians 5 mm-hmm. by Eugene Peterson. Mm-hmm. And the backstory of it, tell us the backstory of how Eugene, this is the message translation mm-hmm. that we right. call it today. It started in the 1980s. Right. And so uh, Eugene Peterson was a pastor at the time. He'd been pastor for about 20 years of this one congregation. And in the 1980s, he began to see this trend towards um, fear and divided politics and racism really swelling up in the community at large in America, but also within his own church. And he decided he needed to write uh, something to his people to really get them more steeped in this vision of God's kingdom. And this is what he wrote about it after writing the translation. He said, In the early 1980s, a financial downturn had raised anxieties among many in my mostly middle-class congregation. Race riots were flaring up in many of the cities of America, exacerbated their anxiety, and the entire community in which I lived and worked was suddenly security conscious. Uh, neighbors were double locking their doors and installing alarm systems. Men and women who had never held a gun were buying guns. Racial fears developed into racial slurs. Paranoia infected the small talk I would overhear on street corners. To my dismay, all of this seeped into my congregation without encountering any resistance. My dismay soon turned to anger. How could this congregation of Christians so unthinkably absorb the world's fearful anxiety and hateful distrust and so easily? Overnight, it seemed, they had turned their homes into armed camps. They were living defensively, guardedly, timidly, and they were Christians. I had been their pastor for 20 years, preaching the good news that Jesus had overcome the world, defining their neighbor with Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan, defending them against the status quo with Jesus' story of the cautious servant who buried his talent. I had led them in Bible studies that I had supposed were grounding them in the freedom for which Christ had set us free. Uh, and they were before my eyes, paralyzed by fear and anxious for tomorrow. And I thought, this mm. is what he's writing about in the 1980s. Yeah. Uh, but is so relevant or prescient even to what we're dealing with today that there's this fear that's at the heart of a lot of uh, our politics, probably on either side, that I'm afraid of something, Mm -hmm. losing Mm -hmm. my freedom, losing... I think fear is the dominant dominant emotion that Mm -hmm. most people don't even know they... So a person like me, personality-wise... Uh, I didn't really, I used to, I've always said I've been dominated by anger, but almost all of my anger, yep. the counselors <laughs> helped me, <laughs> me finally too. understand was fear. Yep. I, mm-hmm. I was afraid. Mm-hmm. And I see it on both sides of our political spectrum. If we don't get this to happen, this man is going to ruin our country. And we're just afraid yeah. of what this man's going to do to my world. And I didn't even tell you which man I'm talking about. That's right. Because it's on either side. Well, how can you, because this party wants to do this, we'll have this, and it's going to do that. And we're we're just afraid, which I get. If if the American political system is your dominant value, and America, the United States, is Mm. your dominant worldview, Mm. you ought to be pretty afraid. Because... uh, Well, how many countries you know have existed... 
Yeah. Forever. I, yeah, no, there aren't any. <laughs> there aren't any. They're, they're just, I mean, Greece is still around, but it ain't uh, Greece like it was. Yeah. Ancient Greece and Egypt's still around, but it ain't like it was. Right. So there aren't any ancient kingdoms that have just existed. Our, our country's not going to last forever, but we hold on to it like it's some God-given right. And if that's the way you see the world... I get it, man. Everything in your world is crumbling. But I said this on Sunday, and you talked about it for a couple of weeks. We talked about it, all of us, in the faith series. Um, everything we believe to be true, that God is who he said he is, and he's going to do everything he said he would do, and that he's invited us into an unshakable kingdom mm-hmm. that is, it's doing completely fine. Well, the kingdom right. was around before the United States got here. Yeah. And it's going to be here after the United States is gone. And people don't even like to talk like that. No. But it it ain't going to last forever either. No. (laughs) No. It's going to go. And so I get, and there's no wonder that's fearful, what is true. And and so you, and I don't know if you've already, you told me you're going to ask a question about how do you know if you put your faith in front of your politics. Yeah, we can talk about that. I think that's the dominant kind of thing. When I think you see those kind of things rising up in your life, Paul, in that passage in the translation that I have sort of memorized in my head, he says, the works of the Spirit are, uh, uh, there is no law There's against no law these against things. Them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Nobody has to tell the Spirit to develop those mm-hmm. things. And you don't have to say, hey, go, it just develops. The Spirit develops. Mm-hmm. And he says, the works of the flesh are evident. Mm. Yeah. They're just evident. Yeah. So you begin to wonder, how do I know if, the kingdom of God is the dominant view I have in life. Well, you look around. Am I loving, joyful, peaceful, yeah, right. patient, kind, yep. good, gentle, self-controlled? Are those the dominant values? When, when somebody says something that I disagree with and that I think they're wrong is my first thought of, oh, my God. You're going to ruin this world, mm-hmm. and I have to make you right. Or I'm or I, afraid of you. I'm afraid that, of you, yeah. and I have to correct you, or I have to get you and your kind gone. Or do mm-hmm. I think, hey, I have love for this person. This is a person made in the image of God, yeah. and I don't have to worry about their thoughts because the kingdom of God's doing perfectly fine. Absolutely. And so I can patiently love this person, mm-hmm. as, and I can be self-controlled in my reactions, mm-hmm. and hey— Maybe everything I'm thinking politically ain't right either. And that's the thing I want to say to a lot of my my friends who um, they seem to be so fearful that the truth is not going to win out. Because everybody, like you said on Sunday, everybody believes they're right, you know, on both sides. Yes. And they have really good reasons why they believe they're right on both sides. And I just want to say to people that get so amped up and it leads them to lose the fruits of the spirit when they engage with people i'm not loving anymore i'm not patient i'm not filled with joy if you really are holding truth out truth doesn't need you to defend it and it doesn't need your it it doesn't need your help Mm -hmm. truth winds up winning out in the end and so you can be peaceful (laughs) with the truth if it's if it's true it'll be fine well and what i have found often is not that people are terrified that the truth won't win out I think most people are terrified that the truth won't benefit them, yeah. and that or if, that they it won't agree with them. That's what I mean by benefit <laughs> is that you get to agree with me or to mm-hmm. help uphold yeah. what I have. I, I I I disregard anything that doesn't fit the pre-held truth I've already had in my head mm. that I've made my life by this whole time. So when you bring into an upside-down kingdom where you say, "Hey," It's through submission that you actually have any kind of power. Mm. That's a truth that does not correspond with my life, so I just reject it. Now, I don't because Jesus says that. 
I don't. I can't come out and go. That's not true. What I say is, well, but in this circumstance, yeah, or he, for this yeah. one time, in or, my situation, yes, I've, I've got to figure out this particular thing. And what I'm terrified of: what if I found out the best way for me to parent my children is submission? What if the <laughs> best way for me to love my spouse is to through submission? What if the best way for me to interact with groups I disagree with is through submission, not through fighting, not through not through having to win the truth? And when I figure that out, that's a terrifying reality to many of us. Mm-hmm. That 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 then I would, in order to live accordance with the truth, I now have to be submissive. And I think that's the part that's difficult. And I think the reason it's difficult, and this kind of goes back a little bit, but what I kept thinking about when you said, you know, putting politics in front of our faith, you know, at least when I was growing up, and I'm sure it was even more so when, when you know, you guys were growing up years ago. Uh, Thanks, Nathan. But, you know, the thing people... When the first egg was hatched. That's right. <laughs> you know, the thing I've always heard is there's two things you don't talk about, politics and religion. Sure. Yeah. And I think that in America, what no one really wanted to say at the time is the reason why was those are side issues. Mm-hmm. That's the way most people have viewed it, right? Religion's a part of who I am. I'm a move that to the side. And so when I interact with you, I don't have to be a Christian when I interact. I don't even have to bring up Christianity. I certainly don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat when I interact. What has now happened is that politics has moved to be all-encompassing and that how I view myself is that. And what has happened to religion, what we don't want to admit, at least here in America, is it hasn't just stayed a side issue. It has become a smaller side issue that we have pushed down to make room for politics. Mm. And That's because our modern view of religion, which began with the Enlightenment and all of this, is that religion is a subsect of your personality and not the way you view the world. Mm -hmm. And that it's just the, you know, you hear many historians talk about that when the Christian missionaries had to go to India, they had to tell them they had a religion called Hinduism. They didn't call it a religion because to them, that's the way the world operated. It was just the way the world operated. Yeah, it's just this is the the way. The old thing of telling a fish he's in water, he's like, I don't. What's water? Yeah. Right. It's the exactly. only environment he knew. Which is interesting if if you guys I haven't been to small group this week yet, but week one of this small group study we're doing is about worldview. Uh-huh. Right. It's about how our worldviews are being shaped in this, this culture currently. So it's right online what you're just saying. Well, and so that's the difference between the kingdom of God. I mean, we often use the phrase like, you know, Christianity is not a religion. And in the modern sense, it's not a religion because it's not a subsect of my personality. But in the ancient worldview, they would have seen it as a religion because what Jesus was introducing was a new worldview. That there was a kingdom that is present where submission and love of enemies and, and this cross-centered way of doing things where I die in order to live, mm-hmm. that's the way the world should operate and best operates. And so when I then put, as you've said, put that lens on, which is just a worldview, when I put that on is the way I view the world, then there's areas of everyone's political system that, off. that is off because I look and go, and every political party has to win and has to dominate in order to get their worldview across, mm-hmm. right? Right. The Republicans have a worldview. The Democrats have a worldview. The Independents have all kinds of worldviews, right? It's all you know. Everyone's got a different worldview lens they put on, and then they try to put put the uh, the uh, religion thing through that worldview, and it does shift. And I think the thing you said that was huge was when I see those works of the flesh in me, mm-hmm. the fear and anxiety. The fear and anxiety is what if I don't win. The truth is, that's how I have come to be able to figure out not just faith but politics. When anything gets 
in between me and the Lord, the works of the flesh are evident. Yes. Because they'll come out. It, 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 they just come out of me yeah. so naturally. That's right. I, it's not just politics. When, when, when I am not living in the moment, and, and this is something I wasn't taught, and you talked about it for two weeks in the, the Good Life series, when I don't choose the kingdom as a present reality, it is. It is all around me. And I can choose how much I want to live in the kingdom right, right now and how much I want to bring the kingdom in my sphere of influence. When I choose to not live in the kingdom, the works of the flesh are evident in me, bam, yeah. like that. Well, and it is, <laughs> it is like the, the analogy that Dallas Riller uses of electricity. The kingdom is like mm. electricity. It's there. All we have to do is tap into it. And so when I, when I submit to somebody in love, I tap into it. And there's a power that's released that is channeled into me mm-hmm. because I'm now living in the kingdom. And every time I'm not, it is me screwing a light bulb into, in, in, into, into the dirt and going, why isn't this working? I'm going to get frustrated. And I'm going to get mad. I'm going to start to get a lot of insecurities. Why can't I? Everyone else has got light bulbs going off. And I don't have light bulbs because you're plugging it into a tree. There's nothing there. You're going about this the wrong way. Yeah. And if you would enter into the kingdom and go, oh, this is the right way, then you can go. And then there's also no shame in that. So I have someone, uh, I, you know, everybody knows how much uh, 12-step philosophy has shaped mm-hmm. my life. And so I have a, a really person very close to me who's just, and they're my age, just has broken into that world and not from that they needed it, but they have uh, become a helper in that world. And right. w- their recent statement to me was, and this is the truth, and this is the truth about the kingdom of God. It's why the 12 steps, when people follow them, actually work. Her statement to me was, it's amazing that when people give up control hmm. and just decide to turn their life over to the power of God, it's instantaneous you can see a difference. And I said, yes, that's Mm. true. You can see it when it happens because the lights come on. Mm -hmm. The power comes on inside the dark shell because they've been trying (laughs) to draw power from themselves, and you ain't got none. I just heard a podcast today driving to lunch, back back from lunch, um, where – Henry Cloud was talking. He's a, the guy who wrote Boundaries, right. mm-hmm. great uh, psychologist, um, Christian. And committed Christian. Committed Christian. And he was talking on this podcast, and he said in a way that I never thought of before. He said, you know, part of all of our problems is that word you just use is control. Mm-hmm. We are constantly trying to control. He said, you know, there's only one type of control the Bible even ever talks to you about. Mm-hmm. Self-control. That's right. He said, anything that you try to control in your life that is outside of your self-control, he said, you're, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to mentally wear yourself out. You're going to harm yourself. It's just going to breed these negative thoughts and depression and all the things that come with that. He said, but then he said, I, I've spent most of my time trying to help people learn the one control they have is self-control. It's mm. what boundaries are all out. Boundaries. Absolutely. We right. tend to think of boundaries as I'm building walls to keep people from inflicting on me. Mm-mm. The biggest walls I need to build are me. the walls that keep me from yes. encroaching outside sure. of things yes. that are not mine to yep. control, like Washington, like the school mm-hmm. board, like the mayor, like all mm-hmm. the governor, like what's going to get mandated mm-hmm. about masks. I'm trying to control things. 
I do not. Mm-hmm. I, I, my phrase, as you guys know, I say all the time, is no one dealt my, me any cards in that in that hand. Mm-hmm. I was not dealt into play. Yeah. I'd like to play, sure, but I don't have any cards. That's right. So I can't play on that. So I just got to stand back over here and just go look. Look at that game. <laughs> the way the way Henry Cloud put it, which again, I never heard this these phrases used before. He said, he said. The truth is, he said, uh, because we have self-control, he said, we are potent. He said, in other words, we have power in this life. He said, the problem is we want to be omnipotent. Mm -hmm. He said, we want all power. He said, omnipotence was only given to one. Yeah. And that's God. He said, it's, it's, the, it, it's the original sin. I move outside of what I have control over and what God's ordained me to have control over, what he wants me to control, and I go into his territory, try to have it all. And it goes back to what, uh, part of that goes back to even what affects us in the kingdom and Christians. So because I want control, I even begin to try to get God I want to control God. So yeah. In the faith series, we talked yeah. about mm-hmm. how so many people think faith is a power I use over God. Yeah. It's not, I believe that God is everything he said he was, and he'll do everything he mm-hmm. said he will do. It's, I'm going to take my faith, and I want him to do everything I said he yeah. would do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because right. it's just another form of control. Absolutely. Which brings us your whole thing of Henry Cloud. Yeah. You know, the, the, the main passage I talked about Sunday was, you know, plank in your eye. Yes. And... That, again, is Jesus saying, hey, when you're in these situations where you're so frustrated with somebody, there is a boundary you have of what you can mm-hmm. control. And, you and can it take care needs of to start there. There you go. You need to look at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to that point, which was my next question, is in that I, we're, we've been working on taking the plank out of our eye. And we're, as a congregation, we said we want to do that together. Um, let's, let's, get, let's put some uh, practicality to that. When in your life, personally, let's talk personally, have you uh, have you done something maybe a discipline or a, a, an action that you took that helped you in that endeavor of taking the plank out of your own eye? What are some helpful things that we might can pass on to people? I, I, for me, uh, so I'll go to the place that I began to notice that I had such a big plank in my eye. Uh, parenting was the place that I began to notice at first. I would notice things in my children that I really wanted to see be different. Hmm. (laughs) Almost always they were things that were also in me that I hadn't made much headway with. Hmm. And I just wanted to push on them. And a major emphasis, and I would even find myself saying to them, you don't know. I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I struggle with this too. You need to fix this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, nobody listens to that because I just told them, I did not fix yeah, this, right. but I'm going to tell you how to do what I cannot do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I began to have those kind of feelings really toward anything, that is, that's a trip. That's a trip for me. That's the first mirror to me. When I begin to get really upset about things in you, mm-hmm. I really do ask myself, is there something of that in me? And almost always there is. Mm-hmm. There's just not much that upsets me in other people mm-hmm. that I don't have a hint of in yeah. myself. Well, and back to the, to use your example of parenting, back to the whole idea of self-control, it, I've heard parents say, I just can't control my children. And, and it's like... yes. Is that, yes. is that what you really want? Because I don't think that's what you want, because if that's what your goal is, the moment you walk out of the room, it's over. Yeah. Right. You want children who can be self-controlled. Sure. So that's a different approach. 
but I want self-control the way I want it defined. <laughs> I want them to self-control themselves exactly well, like the way I, I want control them, them. Which is really you control. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Anyway. Absolutely. But, um, so that's for me. I yeah, try to sure. really do that kind of thing yeah. of when I get, and it doesn't happen automatically. Mm. It happens more automatically when I can stay in the lane of, hey, this is a person made the image of God. That, that's a big deal for me to really mm-hmm. get clear. This is not some demon on the mm-hmm. other side. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is a person that they probably think they're right too. And they're probably, for many of the people I wind up arguing with, I believe they're often brothers and sisters. Hmm. And right. I hope to spend eternity with them and that we're just going to continue on. And I'm, I'm treating them as if they are somehow doing something less than the evil I, I i treat them as if they're evil and mm-hmm. totally off track and they're intentionally screwing up and you know yeah all those mm-hmm. kind of things yeah i know um when i wrote the question and i started thinking about it myself it, something that like you said ed you know when i when i encounter somebody that frustrates me and you know and i i feel that that thing you know rising up in me that i starting to feel and treat that person as an enemy or as something to combat. Um, It most often in my mind and world happens in the world of social media, Mm -hmm. at least these days. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's kind of weird that it kind of coincided with the message you talked about on Sunday. Um, Last week I had one of those moments, and I shared it in my discipleship group with my guys in my daily check-in. I don't necessarily want to get into the issue, but it was something that people were getting really amped up about in social media world and um, people that I know and love, and they were railing against an issue, but in they were doing it in such a way that it was really railing against people that I love, mm. particularly one person that mm-hmm. I love. And it was causing me to really not have good feelings and thoughts in my spirit. And I said that to my guys in my daily check-in with them. I said, you know, there's this thing going around the Internet, and it's just driving me crazy. I want to speak out on it and yell down some people because I, they're, they're hurting me. I think it's wrong. And, you know, very very nonchalantly the guy wrote back, and one of them said, well, maybe you should just be done with it for a little while. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's an idea. <laughs> so I decided last weekend I, I was going to fast from that world mm. for at least a week, um, and I'm halfway through the week. And um, it's amazing how all of that works of the flesh that were going on in my mind, in my heart, they're gone. I don't have it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's because I've, I've chosen not to engage in that. And it's I'm not saying that everybody should do that, and mm. it's something that I will do forever, um, but I noticed, like you said, I, I noticed the works of the flesh rising up in me, and I thought, this is not, I'm not, I'm not choosing to live in the kingdom right now. What can I do? And that, and that, that reset me, at least yeah. for now. Um, that was one thing I, I'm working on this week that has helped me. And, and, and again, back to the original point, it helped me see the plank in my eye, whereas I you know, was only seeing the, what I thought was wrong in the other person. I was able to turn that around and go, no, that's that's revealing something about you. Yeah. And you need to probably settle down a little bit. You need to work on. And that gave me the time and space to do that. So 
Uh, I think for me, if you want to talk about like specific practices, I don't have specific practice other than the stuff you guys have already said. I think those, I think, I think in, in particular, when you, like you said, when something triggers you, uh, towards any feeling that's a work of the flesh. So, you know, this kind of contempt towards others or this fear or worry, there, there needs to be examination on your part, not on their part. There, there doesn't need to be a, you know, well, what, what is it about them that's driving me nuts? It needs to begin with, why did that make me scared? Mm. Or why did that make me so angry? angry. I got so angry yeah. about, it. especially even if it's what someone else, you know, you start talking about politics when someone else holds an opinion that's different than mine why does that make me so angry yeah right why does it make me so angry mm-hmm. and all of us are guilty of it in yep. a different oh thing. yeah you know that's everyone right. else thinks everyone else gets too angry mm-hmm. and i'm getting just the right amount of angry <laughs> about that's it. right but all of us why am i so angry why do i think those thoughts differently now about that person as a mm-hmm. whole and not just that view you know so so i think that's huge but probably the biggest thing for me about just self-examination in general is overall uh, in my life, really becoming aware of these kind of mindfulness techniques. You know, we talked about them before of being aware that God's with me in every moment and that he's doing something in every moment and um, really structuring my day around that. I become very guilty very quickly. And it's funny, you know, you talked about social media and, you know, probably all of us at some point have taken a fast from social media, but then eventually we go back and then mm-hmm. every time we take another fast, we're like, oh, I should always do, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, I should do that. My my tendency is to fill up my schedule and to fill up my time. And particularly, I structure my day around productive time. Um, I, I, most of my life I've done, uh, at least in my adult life, I've done very creative kind of work as far as like having to write and create things and do that. And one thing, anyone who spends a lot of time being creative is you find out very quickly what your creative time is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured out for mine, it's the first two hours of my work day. Uh, and then also suddenly again at about seven o'clock at night. And so for long periods of my life, I would work, you know, eight to five here and then I would go home and then I'd write again from seven o'clock at night till 10 o'clock at night. And my whole day was just kind of structured around this. And there was just a busyness to my day. There was a hecticness. And then on top of that, I then would do a lot of numbing techniques, even just binge watching TV, Mm. overeating food. There were things because now I had overspent myself. Mm -hmm. Right. Now I'm doing this. And now when I'm stretched that thin, on all of those ways, there's ways for fear and anger. And, you know, I'm binging these other things and I'm mindlessly taking them in. I'm mindlessly taking in uh, the anger and, you know, violence that's coming through the things I'm watching on TV and, this, and, the, and the, the worldview of sexuality and all these things just fill in my mind. I'm not even thinking about it. There is no, there is no level of screening it. I'm just bringing it in. Mm-hmm. Whatever's happening on social media, I'm just bringing it in. And so the biggest change in my life, probably the last two and a half, three years has been structuring my day around points where I am regularly contact in contact with God. So a, a, a time with my discipleship group in the morning, you talked about that's a big part, but then I have alarms on my watch that go off throughout the day for me just to stop whatever I'm doing. And there are days I do that better and there are days I don't do that well. Um, but when we talk about works of the flesh, work of the spirit, the days when I do that, the works of the spirit are more evident. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the huge part of it is when you hear the fruit of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, you go through them. All of us want one of those better. And we even used to do that a lot of like, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you go through like your 5G and you'd say, which one of these do you <laughs> want to work on? And what we, what, at least what I always took from that was, what thing am I going to do to grow patience in my life? 
those things are fruits yes. that develop out of a life in the spirit. That's right. Those things take care of themselves. They're actually all one fruit. Sure, yeah, yeah right, right, love, yeah, that's right. right. And, and so those things naturally develop when I am when I'm in that thing. And I heard someone say this before that, and I think I said this maybe on the last podcast too, of we often view ourselves in terms of technology of I've got to recharge and I've got to do this. But Jesus describes us as, as a gardener. Uh, he's a gardener, and we're the the we're the uh, the garden, or he's the shepherd, we're the sheep, or he's the vine, we're branches. the branch, and certainly fruit of the spirit all does that of constant connection, constant nourishment, and he's really the one doing the work, and so that's been the thing for me is regularly I'll I'll feel this nudge now when some when I have more time where I'm just sitting at home and. We're not really watching TV, or I'm watching TV, but I'm 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 very refreshed, and so I'm talking to my wife, and I'll bring something up to her, and she probably has always been doing this, and I just wasn't paying attention. We'll go. Well, why does that make you so angry? Uh-huh. <laughs> or vice versa, she'll bring up something, I'll bring it up to her, but then God will kind of be the third voice in the conversation to go. Now, Nathan, you've got something you've got to do on that too, and so <laughs> having that. Yeah. time are my days at least and i'm sure everyone has different kind of things my days are so busy and so hectic if i don't intentionally make them something different so mm-hmm. it's not a specific yeah. plank in the eye sure. thing but like a fruit mm-hmm. that comes out of that as a natural thing i'm, I'm more humble and more gentle when yeah. i'm in that rhythm of life all right last question and there may be no answer to this question mm-hmm. and if, the, if that's true we'll just skip it Ed, did you leave anything out in your message on Sunday? Because you talked about how you struggled with, especially that ending part, the part that everybody told me, man, I feel like I got beat up. <laughs> um, was there anything that you wanted to add to that or anything that? There are many things I I did edit out. There are things I could have added to that. Um, there's nothing I want to sure. add back. I mean, I, I think I took it out and... Um, think there was enough all I was trying to do was give us illustrations of um really the things we see and and I and I I started off and people I go get caught in the specifics of saying and Mm -hmm. I hear this from both people of problem is our country is lazy and greedy lazy and greedy Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Everybody, whether you're Democratic, it's the greedy yeah. Republicans, it's the lazy Democrats, it's the people who want to take my money, it's the people who want to hold on to the money. And, and all I was trying to point out is we have that. We're and all both of those. We're, yes. <laughs> and so it's the log in the eye thing. And all I tried to do was just try to make evident those things are clearly a part of us, and so we need to start with us, and no one's going to listen to us, and we can't move to any solutions when I'm saying to you, this is really important, I don't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is really, really important, I can't, I don't fix it in me, Yeah. and because everybody sees it, mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. can clearly see it, we have to start with us, so yeah, that's a, uh, mm. yeah. I'm really, really, and I know this is, I don't know, maybe other people. I don't meet as many baby boomers. I'm a baby boomer. We're, you know, we were the largest generation. We have a lot of pride. We're the largest generation. And then, you know, the millennials come along. The millennials not are not. And then the millennials also, now the generation mm-hmm. after them is larger because mm-hmm. that's the nature of multiplication. Yeah. Ex- yeah. Exponents work that way. That's right. Yes. Uh, anyway, the, 
I am, I've always, I'm, I'm super frustrated with my generation. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have been forever. I think we, when you hear a baby boomer say, millennials are the most entitled generation, all you know is, hey, yeah. got a plank much? There you go. Mm. We're pretty dang entitled. We are pretty. Yeah. And I'm Gen X, and we just don't care. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. You've been in the shadow on both sides. There's shadows on both sides, so you haven't any focus. So we just, you know, there's a lot more I could say. I know. I have some specific baby boomer stuff that I left out. (laughs) What's the good of that? I've given enough illustration. All right. So maybe it would be good, Jason, I just thought about this. We're wrapping up to read the uh, fruit of the spirit part of it. Because I was, you know, mm. we went through the just to kind of be a kind of close out of the thing. Because I mm. think the way he describes yeah, the fruit of the Spirit is very helpful, too. Do so that. he ends by saying, but what happens when we live God's way, he brings gifts into our lives. Much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. Anybody feeling like they've got that these days? Mm. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. And then he ends by saying this, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. I thought that was Mm -hmm. just a powerful way of phrasing those very famous verses. So why don't we just drop the mic right there? There you go. (laughs) All right. So week two is Sunday. Don't miss it. And we'll be back talking about it next week. Yep. Yep. See you guys later.